You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. This past Sunday, I kind of talked about the um, effects of sin, you know, and, and how does it play out in in holiness, and in, in that relationship of holiness um, with God? Um, how does it affect our standing before uh, a holy God? And as believers, again, we are called to be holy, to be separated unto God as God is holy, meaning God is separated unto himself. God is separated from everything that would be contrary to his nature, okay? So as we are made holy, again, it means we're separated unto God. We are separated from those things that God is separated from. And so I ask the question of, once we're believers and we've been separated, we've been set apart unto God, we are, we are before God with imputed holiness, uh, the question was, how does sin affect our relationship with God? And one of the things we talked about was when, when we sin, when we make a mistake, rather than, you know, conceal it, if we'll confess it, um, what it does is if, if we try to conceal our sin rather than confess it, what it does is it really disrupts our fellowship with God. However, when a Christian sins, it does not affect, it does not change, it does not alter our sonship before God. So when a Christian sins, again, he doesn't fall out of sonship uh, any more than when any of you make a mistake, do you fall out of, you know, relationship with your father, your mother. I mean, you're still their child. If your, your children make a mistake, they, they may disrupt um, the relationship or fellowship they have with you, but they continue to still be your son and your daughter. So when, when we as Christians sin, it doesn't make us less holy. It, it doesn't, it, it's not like, you know, we're set apart from God and then God kind of just takes us and moves us over a little bit further away from himself, you know, and we just eventually kind of get worked out of that. When, when we sin, we, we're not any less holy. And again, it may feel like that. I mean, we've had moments where you kind of just, you do something and you kind of just feel that guilt, that shame, maybe condemnation, that sense I shouldn't have done that, that was a mistake. But again, once you're made holy unto God and you've been separated unto him, nothing can change that. And that is part of what makes holiness so beautiful and grace so amazing. We sang that song tonight about grace. Famed American psychiatrist Carl Menninger wrote a book in 1973 and he called it Whatever Became of Sin. And I think that question is still so pertinent today, especially within the church as it relates to believers. I think we've lost this sense. I, I, I don't mean our, our church. I, I mean just universal church. I feel like there's just been a, a loss of, of the sense, the understanding um, of sin even in our culture. Uh, we've kind of lost sight of the weightiness, I mean the depravity, um, especially in light of God's forgiveness and grace. And one of the last churches I served in the United Methodist uh, denomination, some of the people in that congregation did not like it if I even used the word sin. So when you can't even use the word sin in a church, you know you've got a problem, right? Right? 
Paul makes this statement in Romans 5 verse 20. He said the law, and he's kind of referring there again to the, the law of Moses. He said the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now again, the doctrine of grace I mean, when, when you really are, are contemplating and you're thinking and meditating upon the grace of God, I just don't think it will ever achieve its abounding effect in our lives as long as there is little or no understanding of the nature of sin and its effect in our lives. To me, the contrast between the wickedness of sin and the increasing and abounding grace of God is what makes grace so amazing. Again, it's that contrast. If there's no contrast, I think a lot of times grace can kind of begin to look very cheap. And the more we see and the more we kind of understand the evil, the wickedness, the darkness of sin, again, I just think the more we appreciate the glory and the grace of God as found in Jesus Christ. One of the definitions of, of sin, hamartia is the Greek word for that. It, it simply means to miss the mark. Now, I've often heard the, that word, that Greek word, kind of defined in a way that it, it's an archery term. And it really kind of just means to miss the bullseye. Now, I, I shoot a bow, uh, and, you know, I, I practice often. And one of the goals in practicing, you know, shooting your bow is you're really wanting to try to hit the bullseye as many times as possible. Now, for me, in, in an archery setting, missing the bullseye is not the same as missing the bullseye it, when it comes to sin, because I don't, I don't grieve, I don't suffer shame or guilt when I miss that bullseye when I'm practicing with my bow. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times our response to missing the bullseye when it comes to our sin um, against God and against his holiness, sometimes it's just not much different. We don't really have an appreciation or, or an understanding for, for the, the, the weightiness of sin. And thereby, I just think there's just this, this um, potential to really, again, minimize and cheapen the grace of God. And again, we're losing, I think, culturally, I think within uh, the universal church, I think, again, we're losing this sense of seriousness and the depravity of sin and how it really does affect our relationship with God, how it affects our relationship with one another, how it even affects um, us. And we see in the church now, there's just so much embracing of what I think a lot of us would be perceiving as issues of sin in the church. We don't see or we don't want to see the effects that sin's having on our culture, our family, our communities, or ourselves. Now just listen to how the Apostle Paul kind of characterizes sin in Romans 3 beginning in verse 9. He says, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, and then Paul kind of goes on and he begins to kind of quote from other portions of the Old Testament. He says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. 
There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, we're seeing this play out in, in, in our streets all across America, aren't we? Now, again, this is a picture that Paul's giving us. This is the effects of sin upon the human race. And again, this gives us some insight, again, into the deceptiveness, the wickedness, the depravity, the utter destruction of sin that has infected the whole human race, starting with Adam and continuing to the present. Paul goes on to say in Romans 4, verse 7, and again, Paul's kind of quoting portions of the Old Testament, Psalm 32 to be exact. He said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take in to account. Again, I think part of what he, he's saying there is, We'll only know the true depth of blessedness, how blessed we truly are in our forgiveness. Again, once we realize the seriousness, the destructiveness, the wickedness, the depth of our sinfulness before a holy God. Because I believe when we do, it'll enable us to be more thankful for the redeeming work of the cross once we understand what the work of the cross saved and redeemed us from. Remember the parable Jesus told in Luke 7, beginning in verse 40, and it was a parable about two debtors. And Jesus, he's speaking to Simon Peter, and he said, a moneylender had two debtors, one who owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Now the point being, I think again, the more fully we understand the enormous debt of our sin that Jesus paid for fully on the cross, the greater our love for him will be and for what he has done. Again, I think a lot of times I just run across a lot of Christians that just have kind of a very cavalier, uh, a dismissive, kind of a ho-hum attitude concerning sin, and chances are when, when that occurs, you know what, I think our gratitude and love for Jesus will be very, very weak. Again, look at the reaction of Isaiah to the holiness of God there in chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Now again, this is, this is after Isaiah has seen God sitting on a throne. And, and he says, he's high and lifted up. And again, that, that's, a, that's a description of holiness. There was a transcendedness to what he saw. The Lord high, exalted, lifted up upon a throne. And he said the robe, uh, the, the, his robe filled uh, the, the temple. And, and I want you to hear his response to this. He says, woe is me. For I am ruined. He's doing an inventory. He's doing an inventory of his spirit. He says, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. This is Isaiah's reaction. I mean, he's a righteous man. He is a prophet of God. Can you even imagine what our reaction would be to this same revelation? I sometimes feel like when, when people come into the presence of God, there's sometimes just, uh, there just is, is almost kind of a, a cavalier, kind of just, you know, uh, very dismissive, kind of, again, that ho-hum attitude. And, and again, you look at Isaiah, and, and there's just this inventory, there's this awareness of his sin, of his shortcomings compared to a holy God. And it was his awareness of the wickedness, the seriousness. It was his awareness of the depth of sin that caused him to feel ruined and undone before the Lord. And notice, God is not the one who says a thing about Isaiah's sinful condition. It was just an, a, a cry. It was an admission on Isaiah's part as he encounters the holiness of God. And it's in that that, that Isaiah's, uh, again, his depravity is revealed. As a seraphim applies the burning coal to Isaiah's mouth and his iniquity is taken away and his sins are forgiven. I can imagine, kind of again, how truly appreciative Isaiah was for what the angel had done. I think a lot of, again, a lot of believers, we just take very lightly the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the work of the cross, the blood of Christ, because we have little or no awareness or care for the ruination of sin in our lives. Now, again, before you say, oh, that's just all Old Testament, look at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. This story occurs after the death the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. This story occurs after Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, beginning with verse 1. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money of the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. Now, if you go back and look at the gifts, what, what gift is in operation here? Gift of? Yes. Why? Yes. Revealed something. It was revealed to Peter that he would not have known through any other means. That's good, very good. See, so take these and start applying what you're learning here. Awesome. So he says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the ground and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? 
The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Fear, great fear. Great fear gripped the church and everyone else who heard what had happened. We're, we, we've lost this sense of fear before God. And I want you to notice the effects of the sin upon the church. There came great fear. The one thing Paul said in Romans 3, remember in verse 18 he said that was missing? As he's giving this description of sin, he says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Fear gripped the entire church once they realized how God felt about the sins of Ananias and Sapphira. Every indication to me is I've, I've looked at this story. I've thought about this story a lot. I mean, every indication to me is they were born again. Okay? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were a very active part of the New Testament church. I mean, they were known by Peter, the apostle. I mean, there, there was, there was a, a relationship there. They were known. So we just can't pass this off as just, oh, a couple of unbelievers. Because I'm not so sure Peter would have dealt with them. Or would have dealt with unbelievers in such a way. Now again, as you read the story, it, it does seem to me to be a very, very steep price to pay. But again, this is how we tend to try to trivialize, minimize the effects of sin in our lives and in the church. God still takes sin very seriously. And as this story in Acts 5 shows, so should we. But most churches don't. The other point I would make is when it comes to sin, we have to understand how utterly depraved and, and lost sin has left us. Some people think we're born with a clean slate, and then, you know, at some point in life, around the age of accountability, we sin, and then we become aware of our sinfulness. Others believe we're kind of born with a mixture. There, there's good and evil, and at some point, become aware of our sinfulness, and we may or may not turn to God and receive salvation. However, I believe the Bible teaches we're born with a fallen nature, it is inherited from the original sin of Adam there in the Garden of Eden. And it's what we call the doctrine of total depravity. And it teaches that people are not by nature inclined. We're not wired automatically to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength as he requires. But rather, we kind of come out of the womb we're kind of conceived where we're kind of wired to be very, very inclined to serve our own interests and reject the rule of God. And again, I think there's enough evidence of that in the human race, not to mention our own personal experiences, to say that that is true. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this beginning in verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's, again, he's really laying out the effects of sin there. Romans 8, beginning verse 7, he says, For the sinful nature, it's always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Again, who's he writing this to? Believers. The natural person, again, he goes on in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, these are just a few of the scripture verses people point to when they refer to, again, the doctrine of total depravity. This, we, we, we come by this very, very naturally. And again, I mention this to highlight, again, the impact, the depth that sin plays in the human race. And again, how we tend to want to minimize and trivialize the uh, uh, impact of sin. Now again, any attempt to minimize this impact of sin upon the human race, you know what, when we just try to minimize that, it really only serves to cheapen the grace of God to try to undermine or to soften the work of Christ upon the cross. When we attempt to downplay the ongoing effects of sin, we only minimize the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, oftentimes when that happens, we can begin to make a mockery out of communion because we're not fully understanding, we're not discerning, we're not appreciating what the blood of Christ has done. It's like that worship song we sing, Here I Am to Worship. One of the lines in that is, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And again, you're right, we'll never know. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't at least try to understand a little bit of the effects of sin. I think when we rightly attempt to understand the cost and weight of sin, I think the more we see our sinfulness for what it truly is as God sees it, I think it just brings us to a place where we will bow before a holy God and we will be filled with gratitude for the price Jesus paid in laying down his life for us. I also think when we see our sin from God's perspective, you know what, I think it, it, it causes, it enables us to walk in a greater degree of humility. Not, not this haughtiness that sometimes we kind of find ourselves in when we're examining our works, what we've done to make ourselves so righteous and so acceptable to God. There's a haughtiness, there's a pride to that kind of thinking. And again, oftentimes it's because we have downplayed, we've minimized the sin in our lives. And when that happens, again, I believe it just, uh, it, it undermines the work of the cross. But I think, boy, when we really begin to, to, to see sin from God's perspective, and we kind of begin to understand the weightiness of that and what the cross has done to remedy that. I mean, I just think we just start to walk in just greater degrees of humility before God for the grace that he has made available to us through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We don't need to downplay. We don't need to minimize. We don't need to be afraid 
to contemplate our sinfulness, to study sin, to study the sin nature, to study the origin, to study the power, to study the extent and wickedness, as long as we look at the same time at the response and the solution Almighty God has provided for us that is found in Jesus Christ. God has provided a remedy for mankind's need brought about by the issues of sin. But I don't believe we'll ever embrace that as fully as we need until we are exposed to and we really begin to understand the penalty, power, and the presence of sin. I kind of talked about those three um, this past Sunday. And again, when we're exposed to that, when we understand that, it makes scriptures like 1 John 1, 9, a promise to the believer more powerful. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, a right view of sin, its active presence in the life of believers, again, it just causes us to want to cling all that much more to the cross of Christ. It causes us to want to, again, die daily to self, to take up our cross daily, and to walk more and more in the power of the Spirit. But folks, I just think as long as we continue to hold the whole issue of sin lightly, I think, again, we'll just continue to walk in, in, in very weak, in very feeble ways before God. We have a right and, and biblical view. When we have that, that, that proper and biblical view of sin, and that as believers we can, we can still sin, it enables us to take Paul's admonition there in Galatians 5, 16. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not cave or you will not carry out uh, the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now those who belong to Jesus or Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and its desires. So Paul's saying you know, there are those times where we want to walk in the flesh. We want to walk in the power of our, of our own flesh. And Paul's admonition is, he says, no, 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 walk by the Spirit. He says, you will not carry out those desires that are tempting you, those desires that are warring within you. And this is ultimately where our awareness of the wickedness, again, the deceptiveness, the destructiveness of sin is meant to lead us. It is meant to take us and to bring us to the crucified, risen, victorious Christ. And, and when we are united with him, when we become uh, one with him, when we become set apart and seated in heavenly places with him, that is what I believe the reality of sin, the, 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 the knowledge, the, the understanding of sin, it's meant to bring us more fully into his presence. And through Christ Jesus, we will overcome more and more the power and the effects of sin as he lives in and through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so that, that I wanna just leave us there uh, tonight. And what I wanna just ask um, you to do tonight is, is again, just 
come before God and, and, and just ask God, you know, are, are there any areas in your life right now where, again, you, you kind of are just taking it very, very lightly. There, there's just almost kind of a cavalier attitude, maybe a ho-hum attitude right now in a, in a particular area of your life. And, and just ask God, God, are, are there places where I just need to feel some heaviness, some conviction? Are there just some areas uh, in my life where, where I, I've kind of minimized or I'm kind of downplaying its effects uh, in my life? I mean, we've had to do that as a church. You know, I, I remember a situation we had to deal with um, involving a, a woman in our congregation um, was married um, to a gentleman. And they had uh, come here uh, to this church and they had been active here for a while. And at some point, uh, she uh, became involved with another woman um, and was, became a lesbian, and they got married, and I'll tell you what, it, it was, if any of you were a part of the leadership at that time, you remember that it, it was disastrous. Um, we, we, we did not know quite what to do. I mean, we were just taken kind of by surprise that there was a part of us that we're, 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 trying, to, we're trying to be gracious in this, we're trying to, uh, we're trying to, you know, allow every opportunity for this individual to kind of repent, to turn from that. Um, we had uh, other people uh, who were very angry at our approach. Uh, they wanted us, you know, to uh, bring her before the congregation, to expose her, to throw her. I mean, it, it, was, it was horrible. I, I'll never forget that. And, and that's where, uh, you know, I just remember that one time um, in, in the life of this church where we really had to just confront, just again, that heaviness, that weightiness, that destructiveness of sin. And, and it was, I just remember it being a very, very difficult, a very challenging time. But God met us in that, right, Marilyn? God met us in such uh, amazing ways. And, and even though we made some mistakes and we looked back on that and we learned a lot from that, um, and some of that was, was that, there was a, a, that we were maybe tolerating more than we should have. Um, we were really trying to err more on the side of grace. You, know? and you, you come up with all of these rationalities for why you're doing what you're doing. But ultimately, it just kind of really came down. We really um, didn't, want to or we were kind of afraid of really dealing with this in a frank, in a, in a, in a uh, biblical uh, way. I felt like we were trying to protect people that, that maybe didn't really need to be protected uh, in that way. I just remember uh, dealing with uh, the heaviness, um, the weightiness of that. Um, and again, how, how when we really kind of just, you know, just got honest, really, I think, with God, and, and God, again, just met us in, in a really, really powerful um, way. And it, it really wasn't that we, were, we felt condemned. I mean, we just felt like God really taught us and, and led us through that um, in a way that uh, we felt like it was, it, was, um, it was teaching, it was healing uh, uh, for us as a church in some ways. 
Um, so again, I just, I don't, I'm not encouraging you to ask God that because you think that God's going to smack you down. No, I think again, like us, God's just going to meet you um, in just a really a powerful way. Um, and, and help you to kind of begin to work through that. And again, just to, again, to experience the seriousness, the seriousness of this um, before God. And so I'm just going to just ask, Father, would you just come tonight by your Holy Spirit? And God, again, as we just think on, on this subject, and I know it's, it, it's always uh, much better, uh, more blessed to think on grace and mercy and love. Uh, and, and Lord, you're all of that and more. But yet, at God, uh, sometimes all of that is minimized, God, when we kind of tolerate or we're entertaining putting up with sin in our lives. And so God, tonight, Lord, I just would ask, Lord, that you would just come and God, just a deal with our hearts tonight. And God, if there are areas uh, of sin, just disobedience, rebellion, that God, you would just uh, uh, shine, reveal your light in those areas. And God, that we would see them for what they are, that God, we would also not just see uh, the, 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 the depth of, of that sin, the weightiness of that, but God, that you would come. And God, in that, just begin to reveal, begin to apply your grace, your mercy, the work of the cross, the blood of Jesus in those areas. And so God, we're, we're inviting you uh, tonight to reveal and to heal, to show us and to lead us. So God, we just, we come tonight, God, we wanna be a church that honors you. We wanna be a church that, that discerns rightly the blood of Christ in this place. And so, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would just come by your Holy Spirit, Lord, just bring us to that place of repentance, to bring us to that place, again, of healing, to bring us to that place of wholeness once again. So, God, we just pray, Lord, if there's anything that disrupts our fellowship, that you would just come, God, and reveal that, help us to deal with that through the blood of Christ, and, God, again, to restore us and to restore the joy of our salvation. And so, Father, we just thank you for that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.